Alrighty, hello, hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is your girl Mitzi, and this is Mitzi. Let's think about it. We have a special guest here today. We have Terry. He is going to be speaking to us in regards to a motivational check. Because let's be honest, we all need that motivational reminder. So, Terry, why don't you go ahead and take it away? Well, Mitzi, thanks for having me on. I'm really looking forward to talking with you today. I'll give you the condensed version of my life. I am the oldest of three boys, grew up on the south side of Chicago. You can't tell this from looking at me, but I'm six foot eight inches tall. And I played basketball in college at a military school in South Carolina called the Citadel. When I graduated from college, I moved home to find a job. I'm really going to date myself now, but this was long before the internet was available to help people Mm -hmm. find jobs. So, you know, I was kind of all set to make my mark on the world with my newly obtained business administration degree. And I look back now and realize I didn't know anything about business just because I had a degree. Fortunately, I was able to find that first job in the marketing department at the corporate headquarters of Wendy's International, the hamburger chain. Unfortunately, I ended up living with my parents for the next three and a half years as I helped my mom care for my father and my grandmother who were both dying of different forms of cancer. Professionally, as I said, I started out in Wendy's, then I became a hospital administrator, and then I made a major pivot in my life and became a police officer. And I, you know, I ran a beat in a marked car in a uniform. I was an undercover narcotics investigator. I was a SWAT team hostage negotiator. I started my own school security consulting business, coached girls high school basketball, published my first book in 2020. But for the last 10 years, I've pretty much been dealing with a very rare form of cancer. And then I guess just finally, my wife and I have been married for 28 years. We have one child, a daughter, who's a graduate of the United States Air Force Academy and is an officer in the new branch of the military, the Space Force. Wow, that's very impressive. Very impressive. I was reading up on your little memoir that you sent me, and it seemed like kind of how you said you had to reinvent yourself multiple times. And with what you just said, it sounds like you really did have to reinvent yourself each time. And I guess my next question is, what really motivated you to reinvent yourself? What made you take that step to realize, you know what, this is a good time to change the script. This is a good time to do something different, you know, because everybody has to ask themselves that question in one way or another in their life. But how did you have to ask yourself that? That's a great question. And I guess, you know, if you look at my resume, my first two jobs were in business. And I always felt, and I guess the answer to your question is, I think you really have to kind of look at reinventing yourself based on what's in your heart. What do you feel your passion is? What do you feel that you're supposed to do with your life. And I always felt my passion was to sort of follow in my grandfather's footsteps and go into law enforcement. But my grandfather, my paternal grandfather, my dad's dad, was a Chicago police officer from 1924 to 1954. And he was actually shot in the line of duty with his own gun. It wasn't a serious injury. He was shot in the ankle. But my grandmother used to always tell my dad the stories of that knock on the door of, you know, Mrs. Tucker, grab your son, come with us your husband's been shot. So when I expressed an interest in going into law enforcement, my dad was absolutely not. You're going to go to college. You're going to major in business. You're going to get out, get a great job, get married, have 2.4 kids and live happily ever after. But that's what my that's what my dad wanted me to do. That's not what I felt my passion was. The problem was when I graduated from college, my dad was sick. He was dying of cancer. So I had a dilemma. And it was basically, do I say, sorry, dad, I know you're dying, but I'm going to go blaze my own trail and be in law enforcement or out of love and respect for him, 
you know, I would go into business. And that's what I did. You know, so I, I sort of say I did what every good son did. I waited until my father passed away. And then I followed my dreams of getting into law enforcement. But it was really just kind of looking in my heart. And, you know, I, I think our purpose, our passion, our why, whatever you want to call it in life, it changes over time. You know, when I was younger, I was a really good basketball player and it was basketball. And then it was law enforcement. And now it's putting as much goodness, positivity, motivation, love back into the world as I possibly can. And I guess let me end with this. A lot of times we think our purpose or our passion in life has to be our job. And it doesn't. You know, I mean, your job could be over here. That's what you do to pay the bills. But your passion is to write or to coach or to volunteer or whatever you feel it is in your heart. And I always say, especially to young people, if there's something in your heart, something in your soul that you believe you're supposed to do, but it scares you, go ahead and do it. Because at the end of your life, the things you're going to regret are not going to be the things you did. They're going to be the things you didn't do. And by then it's going to be too late to go back and do them. That is very true. I like the way that you stated that because that is something that we as the younger generation, as well as the older generation, everybody, you know, let's be honest, everybody needs to take that into consideration because just because you're 80 doesn't mean you have to continue with that same state of mind, you know, just because you're 20 and you're trying to get out of college and figure out what to do doesn't mean you have to default to an old way of thinking, you know? So I thank you for bringing that to our audience's attention because I don't know how many times I've said that in different podcasts, but thank you. (laughs) (laughs) And one thing that really gets to me is that you can have motivation, but no matter how much motivation somebody can have, it means nothing without any discipline along with it. You know, and I was reading your quote today on your website and it really stuck with me. And I thought that was really nice because I feel like there are a lot of people who have motivation and who have goals, but yet they have no discipline to start those goals, you know? And what would you recommend for people who just don't have that self-discipline to keep going to get to that point of where they need to be? Yeah, it's really hard. I mean, motivation will always take you so far. You have to be disciplined enough. And I guess the way I look at it is this. We are all born to do something in this world. You know, I don't believe anybody just kind of comes down here and, you know, oh, whatever. And if you look at, you know, so many people in life live a casual life. And because of of that, their goals, their dreams, their ambitions become a casualty of that unplanned living. You are absolutely right. If you don't have discipline, it doesn't matter how much motivation you have to get something done. And that's the hard part. That's sort of what, you know, separates the people who make it from the people who don't. You know, you could want something all you want, but if you don't have the wherewithal to continue to move forward and go after that thing, then you're never going to get it. And life owes us nothing. You know, I mean, everybody thinks, oh, you know, I'm special. I got news for you. You're not special. You're unique. You have unique gifts and talents, but you're not special. And what you do with those unique gifts and talents should be to find the reason you were put on the face of this earth, use those unique gifts and talents and live that reason. But so many people just kind of muddle through life. And then when it's the end, they're like, oh, no, wait a minute. I want another month or another year, you know, because I didn't do anything. Well, sorry, you had plenty of time. You just didn't get around to doing that. So, I mean, I guess the one thing, maybe it's the same word as discipline, is grit. You know, do you have the grit? Do you have the things 
within you. And we all do. It's not like something you got to go find. You have grit. You have motivation. You have discipline inside you. It's just a matter of whether you want to use them or not to make your life what it's supposed to be. And I think it's such a shame for people who kind of go through life. And a lot of people do it. They're like, okay, I've got a goal. I want to go through this. Eh, you know, that's hard. I'm just going to give up. I'm just going to stay where I am. And those people are the ones at the end of their life that, like I said, go kicking and screaming and can't get anywhere. So I don't know if I have a good answer for your question. You have to have that discipline. If you don't, I can't give it to you. You know, that's not something I'm like, here, you know, here, Mitzi, here's some discipline. You've got to have it. You've got to decide that what I want is bigger than the pain that I'm going to have to endure to overcome it, to get it. Correct. I think that is very true. And I thank you for giving me your opinion and your perspective on that. So for you being an individual that promotes motivation and promotes motivational checks for individuals, you know, I've seen your videos, I've seen things like that. Have you ever encountered anybody that was kind of just stubborn and just no matter what you said to them, they just didn't understand. And if you have, what do you do to handle that? Do you just ignore them and bypass them? Is that the best way to deal with those type of people? Or what's the best way to deal with those type of people who are just narrow-minded or just stubborn? Yeah, I don't know if I have an adult child. So I kind of went through that stage, you know, with our daughter who, you know, was stubborn and didn't want to do things, you know, when we wanted to. And I guess I'm a big person on sort of being cautious about what people say. People talk a really good game. For me, it's, do you talk that good game? And do you also back it up by how you walk that walk? You know, I mean, a lot of people will say one thing, but then do another thing. So, I mean, the way I look at it is I can give you thoughts. I can give you ideas. I can give you suggestions. It's up to you as to whether or not you want to embrace them. I was a high school basketball coach at a point in time. And it's like, you know, if you don't think that I have the skills, the knowledge, you know, the ability to teach this game, then, you know, you're not going to trust me to be part of this team and you're not going to do what I say. But if you trust me, then, you know, if you're going to use my expertise, then use it. If you're not going to use it, then I guess you got to figure out how you're going to get to where you want to be in your life. And I'm not saying I have all the answers, but in a lot of cases, you know, like I said, I've always believed this. Everything we need to be successful in life is already inside us. We just need to find it, pull it out and use it to our ability. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, from time to time, we don't need a coach or a therapist or somebody to kind of, you know, tweak that a little bit and send us on the right path. But everything you need to be successful is already inside you. I mean, if you want to listen to me, that's great. You don't have to listen to me, but if you've come to me for suggestions or ideas or help, why did you come to me if you're not going to listen to what I say? So I guess I kind of look at it like, I'm going to give you suggestions. Now I'm going to watch what you do. If you don't do that, then you're just wasting both our times. Yeah, that's very true. It's kind of just a self-punishment for that person for just not taking that advice. You're absolutely right. And I was also reading in your memoir, what you provided me, you also stated that what motivates you is your faith. And I applaud you for that because I'm motivated by my faith as well. But you were also speaking about your four truths. If you don't mind sharing with the audience, what do you consider your four truths? Sure. The four truths are things that I guess I've developed mostly over these last 10 years, but certainly over my entire life. And I refer to them as sort of the bedrock of my soul. They're a good place 
to start to build a quality life off of. And in the four truths, each of them is one sentence. I have them on a post-it note right here in my office that I see multiple times during the day. So they constantly get reinforced in my mind. So here's what they are. The first one is you need to control your mind or your mind is going to control you. Because I went to college on a basketball scholarship, I was a pretty decent player in high school, but I had three knee surgeries and that kind of slowed me a bit. And when I went back playing basketball after those knee operations, I remember my mind was putting all kinds of negative thoughts into my brain. You know, things like, ah, you're probably a step slower since those operations and college coaches aren't going to be interested in recruiting you. But I remember thinking, no, wait a minute, I'm still playing at an elite level and coaches are still reaching out about the possibility of playing for their college or university. So I realized I had to flip that script. I had to, you know, change the narrative that was in my mind. And if you think about it, our mind can hold one thought at a time. Why would you want to make that a negative thought? So that's the first one, control your mind. The second one is embrace the pain and the difficulty that we all experience in life and use that pain and difficulty to make you a stronger and more determined individual. Our brains are hardwired to avoid pain and discomfort and to seek pleasure. So to the brain, the status quo, the way things are right now are good. Don't mess with it. Just leave it alone. The problem with that is the only way we're going to grow, the only way we're going to get better, the only way we're going to improve is if we step outside those comfort zones and do things that make us uncomfortable. Now, I'm going to make a suggestion here because I try to do this every single day of my life. Do one thing every day. doesn't have to be a big thing that makes you nervous, that scares you, that makes you uncomfortable, that's potentially embarrassing. If you do something every day, small things, when the big things in life hit us and they hit us all, somebody dies close to us, we lose our job, we're living out of our car, we've all heard the stories. If you do those small things every day, when the big things hit, you'll be so much more resilient to handle those. So instead of running from pain, what I'm suggesting with this thought is do just the opposite. Take that pain, flip it inside, burn it as fuel, use it as energy to make you a more resolute individual. So that's number two. Number three is, it's kind of a legacy truth for lack of a better word. And it's this, what you leave behind is what you weave in the hearts of other people. Through this cancer battle, I had my leg amputated and I also found out I had tumors in my lungs in 2020. And when I did that, I went to the cemetery, to the mortuary and to the church and I planned my funeral. And because I give talks and I'm on podcasts talking about motivation and the need to keep moving forward, I actually got some brushback from people who were like, well, don't you think planning your funeral is kind of defeatist? You know, and I kind of looked at them like, well, last time I checked, we're all going to die. I don't think anybody's working on a cure for life right now. Thank you. Everybody dies, but not everybody really lives. And I heard a Native American Blackfoot proverb years ago that went like this. When you were born, you cried and the world rejoiced. Live your life in such a way so that when you die, the world cries and you rejoice. That's what I want. That's what I'm looking wow. for. So I gave that's you the number, chills. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a great, like it's, a, it's a great saying. It really is. So that's number three. And then finally, number four is as long as you don't quit, you can never be defeated. And the way that resonates with me, I think it's pretty self-explanatory, but the way that resonates with me is this. Someday my pain, my cancer pain is going to end. Man through surgery, man through new medication, quite frankly, man when I die. But if I quit, if I give up, if I give into pain, then pain is always going to be a part of my life. Those are the four truths.
Wow. Thank you for that. That we're hearing it from your, from your perspective and from your mouth makes it a little bit different from when I would just read it because when I read it, I was like, yeah, makes sense. Boom. No problem. But when you speak it and when you have stories to attach to it, it really puts it in a different perspective, you know, and that's the reason why I have my podcast and I do my show is because of that right there is that when you speak it in a different perspective from what you're reading and what you're used to obtaining information from, it sticks with you in a different manner. And I feel that that's what you're doing with motivational check. You know, you're trying to help people finally get that motivational reminder that they need so that they can finally shift their perspective in a different way. Am I right? I think you're absolutely right. And and a lot of times, you know, it's kind of like everything in, you know, in life, you know, we talk about, you know, having a a significant other in our life. It's not so much finding the right person as it is finding the right person at the right time. And timing is so important in life. You know, I may suggest something to you that today you're like, eh, no, you know, I'm not feeling it. it. It's not good for me. If I suggest the same thing to you six months from now, you may be like, Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, I'm at a point in my life where that resonates with me. So, I mean, I just put stuff out there. And if it's the right time, if it's, you know, the right time for that seed to germinate and come up, that's great. It may not be the right time. It may take six months, a year or whatever. So, so much of life is timing and having the right timing. And I think the same thing is true with motivation. That's true. Thank you for bringing that up because sometimes I forget about that. But yes, timing is very important. Just like you said, you never know when somebody might need the information. So just throwing it up in the air and just having it available whenever it comes across somebody's platform. Well, then you know what? That's the time for that person right there. So that's very true. Okay. So I guess my next question is because it makes sense why you started, but when did you actually start motivational check? When did it click for you to actually like, this needs to be available. I need to put this out there. So, you know, there's sort of that old joke that says when we talk to God, it's called prayer. When God talks to us, it's called schizophrenia. So I'm not going to say that God ever talked to me. But what I think God does and what I think God has done in my life, he puts people in our path that make suggestions to us. You know, and I think when he puts enough people in your path, unless you're an idiot, you should probably, you know, pay attention to that. It's like, and so people were saying to me, you know, you should start a blog, you should get this information out there. And I was totally resistant to it. I'm like, wait a minute, I'm old. I can barely turn my cell phone on in the morning. You know, you want me to start a blog? I don't know anything about starting a blog. And so literally when I started Motivational Check, it was four pages long. And this is the honest truth. It took me four months to develop those four pages because I had no idea what I was doing. You know, I would do something, I'm like, I don't know what that means. I got to go research it, you know, and I would come back and I I'd get a little bit further and a little bit further. I'm sure if I would have asked my 25 year old daughter to do it, it would have been like, sure, dad, I can do it in 15 minutes, you know, but for me, it took four months and it was the same way with my book. People were saying, Hey, you should write a book. You should write a book. And I'm like, I'm not a writer. I'm not an author, but enough people said it. And I think that's what God does. I think God gives us choices. You know, that's what free will is all about. Hey, I think you should do this. I'm going to put people in your path that tell you to do this, but it's your choice. You could say, no, I'm not going to do it, you know, and do what you want to do. And that's fine. But I don't want your audience or you to think that, you know, the heavens opened and I heard a voice. And and so I started a blog. That wasn't the case, but I really feel enough people made that suggestion that I was smart enough to kind of say, oh, maybe I ought to listen to this and figure out what's going on. You know, I started this blog. I knew what I wanted, but I didn't have a name. And so motivational check 
came from my police academy days when our defensive tactics instructor gave us that phrase. And he said, you know, if you're at the end of your rope, you're tired, you're down, you don't think you can go on, just yell out motivational check. And the rest of the class would respond with our, we were the 84th recruit class with 84, just to let the person know that, hey, you're not alone. We're all in this together. You know, I mean, we're going to get through it together. So just hang in there. And so I thought, oh, motivational check would be a good title for the overarching thoughts of what I want to do here of just giving people, you know, the ability or something to think about when I put up my thoughts for the day. You know, here's a thought, but if you notice all the thoughts of the day come with a question. And that question is like, how can you implement this thought into your life? And, you know, some people may just read the thought and move on. Some people may read the thought and say, oh, maybe I can apply this in some way. And then there's another quote tomorrow. And then on Mondays, I put up the Monday morning motivational message, which a lot of times is a video or a story that's a little bit longer. So it's, again, like we were talking about, is the timing right for you? I'm giving you something. Do you want to take it? If you don't, okay, that's fine. There'll be another one tomorrow. So that's how motivational check came to be. Awesome. Well, thank you for that. I think that is very true. Everything that you have said so far has been very reassuring because everything that I've done to create Mitzi, let's think about it. And my Mitzi thinking it's all started exactly the way that you started. You know, I just had tons of people just on my face about, oh, you should just share your opinions, share what you're thinking, just share what you have to say, because not a lot of people think like you and you never know there could be somebody who thinks like you or there could be somebody who needs to think differently and it was just like in my head like mm, I pushed it off for probably like five years because I just kept on telling myself like giving myself excuses and excuses and excuses so it's just like I finally had to do that motivational check like will I be able to live with myself knowing that I didn't do this you know so I thank you because it makes me feel reassured that I'm doing it the right way. Because let's be honest, we live life never knowing what we're doing is the right way. You know what I mean? We live our lives just like, okay, I hope it's the right way. I hope it's going to work. I hope, I hope this is the direction I'm supposed to be in. So it's not until you actually make that step forward that you actually realize it's exactly what you're supposed to be doing. So I thank you for that. I really do because I, it just makes me feel like I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing because to be honest, setting up my interviews with my special guests, it gets me nervous. Like before I even go on to the Zoom, I get nervous and I'm just like, oh my goodness, I hope it's a good conversation. Oh, I hope I don't mess up. Oh, you know what I mean? Like I just kind of psych myself out. But then it's just like, I have to remember, you just have to just keep going, just keep moving and going through life. So I thank you for that. It's very reassuring to me. So I do appreciate that. But I am interested about your book. If you don't mind telling us a little bit about your book, I would love to hear more about it. Sure. So the book is called Sustainable Excellence, The 10 Principles to Leading Your Uncommon and Extraordinary Life. And it's really a book that was born out of two conversations I had. One was with a former player that I had coached who moved to the area where my wife and I live with her fiance, and we had dinner with them one night. And after dinner, I remember saying to my player, you know, I'm really excited that you're living close and I can watch you find and live your purpose. And she got real quiet for a while. And then she looked at me and she's like, well, coach, what do you think my purpose is? 
said, I have no idea what your purpose is, but that's what your life should be about. Finding the reason you were put on the face of this earth, using your unique gifts and talents and living that reason. So that was one conversation. And then the other conversation was with a young man in college who reached out to me on social media and asked me what I thought were the most important things he should learn to not just be successful in his job or in business, but to be successful in life. And I thought about it for a while and I, I didn't want to give him, you know, get up early, work hard, help others. Not that those aren't important. They are incredibly important. But I wanted to see if I could go deeper with him. And so I spent some time and I wrote some notes and eventually I had these 10 ideas, these 10 thoughts, these 10 principles. And so I sent them to him. And then I kind of stepped back and I was like, I mean, I got a life story that fits underneath this principle or I know somebody whose life emulates that principle. So literally during the three month time period after I had my leg amputated and before I started chemotherapy for the tumors in my lungs, while I was healing, I sat down at the computer every day and I built stories and they're real stories about real people underneath each of the principles. And that's how sustainable excellence came to be. So now I've got this book and it was like, what do I do? So I was like, well, I got to sell books. I got to sell books. I got to sell books. And I was so glad I had a best-selling author over in the United Kingdom who kind of reached out to me, who I'd connected with on LinkedIn. He said, Terry, you're missing the point. Your job is not to sell books. Your job is to help people. If you help people, the books will take care of selling themselves. And I was so glad that he said that because I didn't write the book to make money or to get famous. I wrote the book to try to make a difference in people's lives. And so by him saying that to me, it sort of put things in perspective, but that's kind of how sustainable excellence came to be. Awesome. Well, thank you for that. That's true. That's absolutely true. And it's crazy that you said that last part at the end, because I follow a lot of other authors on Twitter and it just baffles me the way some people respond to the lack of response from their book, if that makes sense, if I said it in the right way. Because I had some individuals where they got mad at their followers for not buying not a single book. Or they'll be mad at the fact that they got one bad review, but then 500 other good reviews. You know what I mean? And it baffles me because what are your intentions into starting to be an author to write your books, you know? And it's exactly like you said, you're not looking to sell books because if you're looking to sell, then go sell cars or go sell something else then. You know what I'm saying? If you that's what you're really in it for. When you're a writer and you start writing, you have to be looking out for one person out of the billions of people in the world that it will change and motivate and it'll hold close to their heart. You know what I mean? That's the reason why authors write. Authors shouldn't be writing for selling. That's ridiculous because you're always going to be disappointed. And it's sad because it's I don't feel like it's my place to tell that to those people, you know, because it's not my place, you know, but at the same time, it's like, I wish they would understand that because then they would be more happier or feel more relieved when they publish a book each time. So thank you for sharing that, because if anybody out there who's thinking of writing, write, but don't get your expectations to the point where you're going to be the next J.K. Rowling. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I read an article a couple of weeks ago that said that 84% of Americans feel that they have a book inside them, whether it's a memoir or whether they want to write fiction, but less than 1% ever do write. Less than 1% ever, you know, sit down and put pen to paper or, you know, get on the computer. And, and people have asked me, you know, well, how did you write your book? And I'm like, well, I had two rules. No, number one, I made myself write at least a minimum of one page every day 
during the week, except Sunday. I didn't write on Sunday. And then I said I wouldn't edit anything until I had the first draft. And, you know, there were days where I sat down and I wrote and I wrote absolute garbage. It was like, this is terrible. But then the next day I wrote something better, you know, and then the next day, maybe I wrote garbage, but then the next day I wrote something better. So you have to look at the cumulative effect. You know, a book is multiple pages. I mean, if you write a bad page, it doesn't make you a bad writer. It just means that, you know what, that probably isn't going to be in your book, but maybe the next page will be. So, I mean, and all these people have, you know, I got to do this. I got to do that. I'm like, you know what, just write, just write and see what you got and go with it and write from your heart. I mean, I think that's incredibly important. If you write what you know and you write from your heart, I don't think you can go wrong as an author. Yeah, that's very true. That is very true. Oh, thank you. And I guess to start wrapping up our show, what is the advice that you'd be able to give myself or the audience out there that's probably having some difficulties keeping motivated and keeping the discipline and just keeping their mind focused and away from the negative because there's so much negative going on in the world let's be honest with the war going on and the pandemic that just happened and people just trying to create their new version of themselves or their new life what is an advice that you would give out yes i'll end with a story but let me say this you know, I see this all the time. You know, people want to compare themselves to other people. I don't understand why. You're unique. You have unique gifts and talents. There's never been anybody like you in the world. There never will be anybody like you. So why are you comparing yourself to other people? Be the authentic, the unique self that you are. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't look at other people and say, hey, I like that quality in that person. And I would like that to be part of my life as well. But don't try to compare yourself to other people because that's just a disaster for, you know, frustration in your life because you're never going to be like that person. And the other thing is you really don't know that person. You know, I mean, you really don't know what's going on in their life. So let me end with this story, if I may. I've always been a big fan of Westerns growing up. I love Cowboys and Indians movies. And, you know, my mom and dad, when I was young, would let me stay up late and watch Gunsmoke and Bonanza and Wild Wild West. And I know your audience is like, I don't know what those shows are. That was old time stuff. But 1993, the movie Tombstone came out and it was a huge blockbuster. It starred Val Kilmer as a man by the name of John Doc Holliday and Kurt Russell as a man by the name of Wyatt Earp. Now, Doc Holliday and Wyatt Earp were two living, breathing human beings who walked on the face of the earth. They're not made up characters for the movie. And Doc was called Doc because he was a dentist by trade. But pretty much Doc Holliday was a gunslinger and a card shark. And Wyatt Earp, his entire adult life, had been a lawman. And somehow these two men from entirely opposite backgrounds form a very close friendship. And towards the end of the movie, there's a scene where Doc is dying at a sanitarium, a hospital in Glenwood Springs, Colorado, which is about three hours from where I live. The real Doc Holliday died at that sanitarium, and he's buried in the Glenwood Springs Cemetery. And Wyatt at this point in his life is destitute. He has no money, he has no job, he has no prospects for a job. So every day he comes to play cards with Doc and the two men pass the time that way. And in this almost last scene from the movie, the two men are talking about what they want out of life. And Doc says, you know, I was in love with my cousin when I was young, but she joined a convent over the affair, but she's all that I ever wanted. And then Doc looks at Wyatt and says, what about you, Wyatt? What do you want? And Wyatt kind of nonchalantly says, I just want to lead a normal life. 
And Doc looks at him and says, there's no normal, there's just life and get on with living yours. Mitzi, you and I probably know people out there right now that are kind of just holding back. It's like, well, when this happens, I'll have a normal life. Or when that occurs, I'll have a successful life. Or when this happens, I'll have a significant life. What I would like to leave your audience with is this. Don't wait. Don't wait for life to come to you. Get out there. Find the reason you were put on the face of this earth. Use your unique gifts and talents and live that reason. Because if you do, at the end of your life, I'm going to promise you two things. Number one, you're going to be a whole lot happier. And number two, you're going to have a whole lot more peace in your heart. Mm. Thank you. That is beautifully said. You guys heard it first from Terry. He said it. (laughs) To have your peace, you guys just have to just keep moving forward and keep moving on. You know what? Just don't jump on the comparison train. Leave that train going. Let it pass by. Don't even look at it. Close your eyes when it passes. Put some blinders on. (laughs) Because like he said comparison will drive you crazy absolutely crazy to the point where you will lose yourself and let's be honest the points of us is not only to find ourselves but to be the best version of ourselves so that other people can be the best version of themselves you know so thank you terry for your words for your perspective for sharing your your website and your blogs and your book with us and for anybody who needs that that motivation or who needs to just figure out where their next step is go check out motivational check i have the link on mitzithinking.com it's under his picture a handsome fella with a little picture (laughs) you'll see it's there under special guest he's our man he'll be the one to help you along the way so thank you guys and stay tuned for more bye